you again to church, and all of those of you who are here maybe for the first time, if you're hanging out with us, this is your first visit to Vibrant Church. If you're joining us online as well, come on church, give all of them a big welcome right now. Come on, we're glad they're here. Give them a big hand. So glad you're hanging out with us. Before we jump into the word, let me remind you of a couple of things coming up that you really want to be a part of and make note of. First of all, we're doing something different in the month of August. We normally do it in January. We're doing it again in the month of August because I believe now more than ever we need to. And that is that in the month of August, we are engaging in 21 days of prayer in the month of August. Now, in January, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. August, we're gonna do 21 days of prayer and feasting. Amen, everybody. So it's just 21 days of prayer in the month of August. But I want you to lean in and join us. Now, now typically, when we do this in normal times, like in January, we open our church every morning of the week at 6 a.m. for one hour of prayer. And there's a structured time. It's a powerful time. Many of you participate with it. It's amazing to see how many people come in here at 6 a.m. and join us for worship, for prayer. It's a powerful moment. However, in this climate that we're in, to be safe, we will not be opening the building at 6 a.m. for that reason. However, what we are going to do is I will be on this stage live at 6 a.m., and I want you to log on uh, online to our different platforms, and there we're gonna, I'm gonna lead you, our team, our staff, we're gonna lead you in a time of prayer every single morning at 6 a.m. for what's going on in the world, what's going on in your family, right? Now, how many believe we as God's people ought to be praying now more than ever? And so we're gonna, we're gonna enter the fall season the right way, 21 days of prayer. It's gonna kick off August the 2nd, and it's gonna go through August the 16th. So just be mindful of that. We'll talk more about it later, but I just wanted to give it to you now so you can put it down. Every, every morning, you can get up and log on at 6 a.m. Join us for worship. Join us for prayer. I'm gonna do a little bit of exhortation, a little teaching in those times. Our staff's gonna engage with it too, and we want you to join us. I believe prayer changes stuff. I just really believe that. So join us for that. Also, I'm super excited because first Wednesday in August, which is August the 5th, we are hosting our first fall mega worship night right here. And Daniel Groves is gonna be back in the house for mega worship night. It's gonna be a powerful night. If you've never attended one of our mega worship nights, listen, this is a much anticipated worship encounter that we do periodically through the year. I believe we need to get in God's presence now more than ever. And I want you to mark your calendar. Be here, 7 p.m., August the 5th, mega worship night. It's going to be awesome. Can you say amen, everybody? Well, I wanna welcome you to our series on the book of Revelation. Somebody say Revelation. I want to welcome those of you joining us online again as well. And uh, we're going to jump right into the Word of God in the next part of this series. And the host, if you're watching online, they're going to drop a link to the note sheet so you can follow along online as we go through this. We're in the third part of our series, and today we're going we're gonna to be journeying into Revelation chapter 6. I've got a lot that I want to give you, so hang with me, because today we're going to be talking about the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. I wanna give you a little caveat before we jump into this. This is a hard chapter of scripture to look at, but it's an honest chapter of scripture to look at because it tells us the truth. And how many believe that we live in a world where we need the truth even though the truth is sometimes hard to hear? When you look at the world today, you have to ask yourself, what is this world coming to? And Revelation reveals to us the answer. No fluff, no, no lies, it just says here's the real answer, here's what the world is coming to. All the tragedy, all the struggle, all the heartache, it's right here in Revelation. And all of the hope and all the victory and all the blessing is also right here in Revelation. 
God is honest with us about all of it, and I believe that we can trust him. Do you believe we can trust him, everybody? So today we're gonna look at some some of the tragedy that, that begins to come upon the earth. And then I wanna kinda sneak over into chapter seven before we close up today, because I wanna give you some hope as well. I, I couldn't just leave you with the, the, the tragedy today. I want you to have a little bit of hope before we dismiss today. So please don't leave halfway through the message, okay? Because if you leave halfway through the message today, you're gonna be very depressed. You're gonna be very discouraged. These are not messages to leave halfway through or to click off online halfway through because we do get to the hope each and every week. Aren't you glad that God's a God of hope, everybody? But as you think about and as you pray about the world today, as you read the newspapers, as you look at the headlines out there, as you watch the nightly news, even if you've been a believer for a long time, maybe you felt a little suspicion that has God abandoned us? Hey, is there something going on here that I don't understand? The book of Revelation is written to help us understand that no, God has not abandoned us. He has a plan, and that plan is working right according to his schedule. Yes, his plan involves some pain because of the presence of sin in this world. His plan does involve some tragedy because of the presence of Satan in this world. But God's plan is never out of his hands. God's plan is never out of his control. That's why this book was written, to remind us that God is in control. Are you glad about that, everybody? So we launch into Revelation 6 today, where we study these incredibly important, this incredibly important time that's coming in the history of our world called the time of the Great Tribulation. 13 of the 22 chapters in Revelation focus on the tribulation, either from heaven's view or from the view of earth. Now, I've got to warn you, these are not easy passages to look at. And remember, John talks about seven seals, and then he talks about seven trumpets, and then he talks about seven bowls, and each of them have behind it a sign. And today, we're going to look at the seven seals, and we're going to look at the sign behind each one of them and what they mean. And remember, they all grow out of each other. Remember I gave you the illustration of the, uh, the, 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 the Russian doll, you know, the ones that they make where you open up one and there's a smaller one in there, you open that up, it's got a smaller one. That's how this stuff begins to unfold in Revelation. The seventh seal opens up the seven trumpets and the seventh trumpet opens up the seven bowls of wrath. The difference is the Russian dolls get smaller and smaller and smaller. However, in Revelation, every time you open up another one, it gets bigger and bigger and greater and greater. And we're gonna talk through these. But that brings us to two big questions we need to ask before we launch into this study today. Two big questions that we all have. The first one is, do these seven seals or bowls or trumpets, are these happening successively or are they happening concurrently? In other words, do, they, do these events happen all at the same time, or do they happen one after the other? If you take a look at Revelation and you read through it very closely, it seems pretty evident that these things happen one after the other. Why? Because the seventh one, the seventh seal, is the seven trumpets that open up. Remember, there's a lot of time changes in Revelation especially when you're up in heaven and we're, when you're trying uh, to, to look at earth. Time goes back and forth a bit, but I believe God's trying to make it very, very clear to us that these are things that happen one after the other. But talking about this great tribulation, this is a great time of terror that's gonna come upon the earth, and it brings another question that many of us ask all the time in our own heart, and that is, when does the rapture take place in all of this? Are any of you remotely interested in the answer to that question? 
Right, okay. Well, there are three different views of when the rapture may take place. There is the pre-tribulation view of the rapture, which means the rapture is going to take place before the tribulation starts. There is people in, in, in Christianity who believe in a mid-tribulation view that the rapture is going to take place in the middle of the tribulation. And then there are those who believe that they're in a post-tribulation rapture, that the rapture is going to take place at the end of the tribulation. Let me tell you what we strongly believe here at Vibrant Church unequivocally, and that is that we hold a pre-tribulation view of the rapture. Amen, everybody. Okay? If you believe in the mid-tribulation rapture or post-tribulation rapture, hey, God bless you. I hope you're ready for what you're going to go through because I ain't going to be here for it. Amen. But let me give you four reasons why we believe in a pre-tribulation view of the rapture. Number one, write this down. Because of the unexpected nature of the rapture. You can look in scripture and read places like in Thessalonians or even what Jesus said about the rapture. It, 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 it was always something that wasn't to be expected, Right? It was to be a surprise. It was going to happen at any moment. This is why we had to be ready for it. So if the rapture is supposed to happen unexpectedly, and yet it happens halfway through the tribulation, or it happens at the end of the tribulation, how could it be unexpected at that point? If you could, if you could figure out when the tribulation started, then you'd know you're going to be halfway through it. So all believers would know just about the exact time the rapture was going to happen. But this sense of it being imminent from when Jesus ascended to heaven until the beginning of the tribulation, we believe that that lines up more with scripture than any other view. It's always been at any moment it could happen for us as believers. So for me, that's the number one reason to believe in a pre-tribulation view that the rapture is something that could happen at any moment. It could happen at any moment. Number two reason we believe in a pre-tribulation view of the rapture is scripture indicates that we will be protected from God's wrath as believers. And I could give you scriptures on this, Romans 5 and verse 9, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9 and 10, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 9, if you want to write those down. Those are scriptures that talk about the fact that because we've received Christ, we're going to be protected from the wrath of God that's poured out upon this earth at the end of time. So there's pretty strong evidence there that the church is going to be taken out and that we are protected from God's wrath during the end of time. Third reason we believe in a pre-tribulation view of the rapture is that Revelation indicates that the Christians who are on the earth during the tribulation are those who were saved during that time. These were not believers who were saved before the tribulation and somehow went into that time as faithful witnesses. No, if that were true, then what happened to all the believers who were here when the tribulation started? Were they all killed? No, the Bible indicates they were taken out of this world. Glory to God, right? Fourth reason we believe in a pre-tribulation view of the rapture is the tribulation happens because the church is taken out of the world. Listen, you better hear me clearly. The, one of the biggest reasons the world is what it is today is because of the influence of Christ's body, the church in the world. Right now, as bad as it may seem right now, there is still a restraining moral influence that we as believers have on this world. There is no doubt about it. So how can such a time of tribulation start with Christ's body, the church, still here? Those are just four reasons why we believe in a pre-tribulation view of the rapture. So 
John, as John sees Jesus begin to open up these seals, we begin to see what God is gonna do in the future and how he's gonna do it. Y'all ready to get into this? Come on, everybody say, I'm ready. Come on, touch your neighbor, tell him I'm ready. Let's talk about the seven seals. The seven seals start with four horses. And God uses these pictures to show us what's gonna happen. The first one we see John revealed to us is the white horse. The white horse begins to open up in Revelation 6 and we pick it up in verse one and two. John said, I watched as the lamb opened up the first of seven seals. And then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. And I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. So with all the other horses that are mentioned, there's four of them, these are called traditionally the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And the first one has the most controversy about it. The other three are pretty easy to figure out, but, but there's some pretty significant differences of opinion about who this first one is. Some think that the rider on this white horse is Jesus. There are others who think it's the Antichrist. There are some who think that because it's white and white always represents Jesus, that somehow this has to be Christ. However, to do that, you have to ignore the fact that the other horses are all about God's judgment. All of them are about God's judgment. And you have to ignore the fact that this horse is summoned by one of the four living creatures. An angel would never summon Jesus. Jesus always summons angels. And notice that its rider on the white horse is one who also has a crown. So white may remind you of Jesus and a crown may give you a sense of Jesus, but that's why I believe wholeheartedly that the rider on the white horse is a representation of the conquest of the Antichrist. It is the conquest of the Antichrist. Someone who comes and someone who offers peace to the world at the end. Someone who comes and says to the world, everything's gonna be great. Just follow me. And the Bible says, notice, the, notice that, that John saw that the rider on the horse, he carries a bow, but notice that he there's no talk of any arrows. That's interesting to me. That's an indication of conquering without fighting. Conquering by diplomacy. Conquering with words and not weapons. And that's what's gonna happen at the end. Obviously, the world wants that. Come on, we all want peace. All of us want peace, especially in the climate we're in now. And if someone could actually come and really offer that peace and seem that the, to have the power diplomatically or whatever to make that peace happen, that would be a tremendous temptation to this world. And we're gonna talk a lot more as we get down the road about who the Antichrist is and what that means later in Revelation. We're gonna to come to all of that. But this is just a brief indication here of this one who's going to come. The first rider of the four horsemen of the apocalypse is, is one who is bent on conquest. It is the Antichrist. So at the beginning of the tribulation, you have this picture of someone who begins to rule the world. and That's gonna happen. But then immediately, it all starts to go bad. Because then you come to the second horse, and that is the red horse, and it's a picture of war. Somebody say war. So it's no longer a bloodless conquest. Now there is war that has come upon the world. And we, we pick it up, John says in verse three and four, the lamb opened the second seal. John said, and I heard the second living creature say, come. And then another horse came out, a fiery red one. 
His rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. And to him was given a very large sword. So as we go through each of these, we're gonna find that each of these horses and expressions of what God is doing in the world at the end, listen to me, they're already among us. These are things that are already among us. These that we're looking at are just the final expressions of what's been happening in the world for years. In fact, the Apostle John said in his letter that, that there are many antichrists that are already among us now. Yet people who claim to be the, uh, the Christ, there's gonna, be, there's gonna actually be a final antichrist though that is to come. So we've all seen wars happening for thousands of years. This is, it's already among us, but this is the final expression of that. Are y'all following what I'm saying? So we've always had war on the earth, but these wars that are happening toward the end will become more and more extreme. And then we find uh, it unveiled to us the third horse, and that is the black horse. And this is a representation of famine, of famine. John picks this up in verse five. He says, the lamb opened up the third seal. And I heard a third living creature say, come. And I looked and there was a black horse and its rider, this is interesting. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, this is interesting, pay attention. A quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil or the wine. That's an interesting statement. What's it talking about here? It's talking about things to eat. It's talking about wheat and barley. And listen, a day's wages in John's day would buy you eight quarts of wheat. So be, and one quart of wheat would equal one meal. So if you worked a whole day in John's day, you could buy enough to feed eight people. If you had a large family, one person could work and feed the entire family. You had a small family, you could do other things with your money. But look at what's happening at the end here. It's saying that when the end comes, as much as you work during one day, you can only earn enough money to buy one quart of wheat, just enough for one meal, just enough for you to eat one meal for one day which means that everyone has to work hard, as hard as they can, if they can even find a job during this time, just to buy one meal for one day. And obviously, there's gonna be some people who don't have jobs. And obviously, there's not gonna be enough food during this time to feed everybody and to go around, and that's gonna begin a time of great famine in the earth. But then scripture ends with this phrase, do not damage the oil or the wine. Understand, oil and wine were in the realm of the rich in that day, and they still are. Different kind of oil, but they're still in the realm of the rich. So what's happening here, this is a picture of what we already see happening in our world right now. The rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. Revelation is expressing that toward the end of time, there will be this incredible disparity between the very rich They'll still have their riches, and then most of the world who will be in a famine and can't eat anything. Are y'all following this? Because then, if you thought that was bad, then it gets real bad, because then the fourth horse is the pale horse. And this is the horse of death. This word pale horse, it comes from the Greek word chloros. And we get our word chlorine gas from, from this word. And it really means uh, sort of pale green. Everybody say pale green. 
And so God uses color to picture what's happening in the world at this time. He uses this pale green color to show us the fact that death is going to come upon the world. This is a terrible picture. John says in verse seven, he says, look, I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades was following close behind him. So watch, these are unbelievers who are dying here. Only unbelievers, I ain't got time to get into theology of it, only unbelievers in scripture go to Hades. Believers never go to Hades. Death takes the body, but Hades takes the soul. And Hades is following close behind here. I want you to see that. And it says, they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword and famine and plague and by wild beasts of the earth. This is the conquest of a world ruler. So watch, because, because this is how it's gonna play out. Let me just tie this all together for you. The Antichrist will rise to power and everything's gonna look great, but then comes war to try to hold on to that power. And obviously, out of that time of war, what's gonna grow out of that? Famine. There's not enough food to go around because of all the destruction. And out of that time of famine, the inevitable result is gonna be the next horse, which is death. The Bible talks about a quarter of the population of the earth, y'all. God is announcing to us here his plan for the end. Why would he do this? Why is this part of his plan? In just a moment, we're gonna come back to that point that God more than anything wants to reach out to people who need him. God wants to bring as many people to himself as he can. Let me ask you a question. Do you have people that you know of in your life right now who procrastinate about coming to know Christ? They just procrastinate. Do you know anybody in your life who pretends that everything's gonna be okay until their life's over, it's all gonna be fine? God is not gonna let any of that happen in the end. As he brings this world to a close with billions and billions of people, more people who have ever lived on the face of this earth at that time, he is going to announce very clearly, the end is coming. It's gonna be inevitable. People are going to see that the end is coming as they see all these signs. That's what God's doing here. It's not just his wrath against sin, which is enough reason uh, for these things to happen, but it's also his invitation to those who are far from him to help him, to help them see, I'm inviting you in. You don't have to go into eternity without me. This is what life is like without me. Listen, the more God pulls himself out of this world and throws his wrath upon this world, the more people are going to see what it's like to be without God for all of eternity. And the more you see that, you're more likely to turn to him. Can you say amen, everybody? And we'll talk about that in a minute, how people will turn toward God in the end. But there's a fifth seal and things begin to change here. And so we've seen these four horsemen but now we see in verse nine and 10, there's a little different picture. John says that when, when he opens up, the, 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 he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. And they, they, they called in a loud voice. Somebody shout, how long? How long, sovereign Lord? holy and true until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. And so the fifth seal, write this down, the fifth seal are the martyrs who are asking 
How long? And this is a good question at this time. You and I may be looking at this and thinking, how much? How much more is God gonna pour his wrath out on the world? But the martyrs are asking, how long? You see, they're looking at this whole thing from heaven's perspective. They're seeing what's happening to them as believers. These, these may be martyrs of all ages of the church history. It's just as likely that they're the martyred believers from the tribulation period by itself. But they're asking, how long will this go on? And God has an answer to that question in verse 11. Then each of them were given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants had been, until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they were killed was complete. So understand, in order for them to be killed as they were killed, they first of all had to come to Christ so they could actually give a testimony for Christ. So this isn't just about more martyrs, this is about more people coming into the kingdom who had lost their lives for the faith. And God is saying, the complete number of those who I'm calling to myself is not yet complete. And so there has to be more time, has to be more time. Now. Just a quick question. How many of you believe today that God could close the books on this whole thing called earth right now? How many believe he could do that right now, right? In a second, he could do that. So why is he choosing to do it this way? Why is God choosing to go through all of this? As I read through scripture, and as I know the heart of God, the father that he has towards this world, it's pretty evident that he's choosing to work in the world this way so he can invite as many people to himself as possible. He's also choosing to work in the world this way so, so that he can show the world his wrath against sin in the clearest of ways so people really understand the terrible state that we are in because of our sin. And so who are these martyrs and, and what altar are they under here in scripture? Who are they? They are those, as I've said, who have lost their lives for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Because they shared Christ, they were killed. So they aren't killed as Christians, they're killed because they were Christians. They're, 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 either all the, they're either martyrs of all the ages of the church or they're those who have just been martyred during the time of tribulation. Another interesting question is, what altar are they under here? What does that mean? The Bible tells us in Hebrews and in Revelation, just like there's a temple or a tabernacle here on the earth, God built one in heaven too. And if you just take a close look in scripture at the tabernacle, you'll find that there's a couple of altars that this could be. It's either the altar of sacrifice or it's the altar of incense. But the Bible says that they are under these martyrs are under this altar in heaven. If this is the altar of sacrifice, the one on the altar of sacrifice for you and I as believers was Jesus Christ. And his blood was spilled for us, right? So the picture here is being under that altar and protected by that altar and under the blood of Jesus and saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Something that, something that promotes this idea a little more than it being the altar of incense, and it, 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 we'll look at that in just a minute, is the word for them being slain. Somebody say slain. The word slain in the Greek is a sacrificial term for one who is slaughtered, not just died, but slaughtered. It has this idea of being slaughtered. So it's, it's saying how these people face death of the most 
the most stringent brutality that you could even imagine. These are tough scriptures, ladies and gentlemen. This is tough to hear. This is tough to read. But hang with me because it's going to get better in just a minute. But it's going to get worse before it gets better, okay? Because the sixth seal, please don't leave right now because you'll just be so depressed. But the sixth seal opens up here, and I want you to see this because the sixth seal is signs that are in the earth, sun, moon, stars, and sky. Somebody say signs. John says this in verse 12. He said, I watched, and he opened the sixth seal. And there was, by the way, I like how John keeps saying that. I, I, I looked, and he opened the seal. Don't you see Jesus is still opening these seals? How many believe he's still in charge? He's over all of it, right? He says, and there was a great earthquake. Look at these signs. And the sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair, and the whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to earth as late fig trees drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. It says the sky receded like a scroll, rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. So whether this is a picture language or whether this is actual language, how many believe this is dramatic language? about what's gonna happen at the end. It could, very, it could very well be actual language. It could be talking about volcanoes in the earth. By the way, if you go research this, seismologists are telling us right now that there are already rumblings underneath the major volcanoes of the earth as we speak. Like we're sitting on some massive destruction. That's unpredictable. It could be about volcanoes going off at the end of all of this and the soot in the air turns the sky black and you can't see the sun, and it also turns, turns the moon red at night because of the soot in the air. But there's also pictures behind this. The sky, for instance, is where we get our light. And if it's black, it says something about what's happening in this world. The moon turning blood red is a picture that's very familiar in the Old Testament. In fact, in the book of Joel and in the other Old Testament prophets, you see the pictures coming up again and again, that these are signs of the near approaching judgment of God on this world. Even in the Old Testament prophets, it said things like signs of the end, signs of the day of the Lord. So we read this in God's word, and, and, and you and I may wonder, what does this have anything to do with today? Like, how, how do these signs fit into what we see happening in our world right now today? Well, when you hear the word earthquake, doesn't it make you wonder? Doesn't it make you think a little bit? Let me tell you about three kinds of signs that people, we talk about that are in the Bible as we approach the end. Let me show them to you. Jesus talked about them in Matthew 24. Revelation talks about them. The book of Daniel talks about them. There are three types of signs. The Bible says, first of all, there will be number one, signs pointing to the end. There'll be signs that point to the end, Jesus talked about this in Mark chapter three, or Mark chapter 13. He said, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, he said, don't be alarmed. Such things may, must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation. Look at these signs he's pointing to the end. Kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes 
in various places and famines. I like this. These, Jesus said, are the beginning of birth pangs. Understand, these beginning of birth pangs started the moment that Jesus ascended to heaven from this earth. We've seen wars all throughout the last over 2,000 years. We've seen earthquakes. We've seen famines since that day. Jesus is saying, whenever you see these things, don't let somebody fool you and say, well, this means Jesus has to come again at this certain time. Haven't we seen a lot of that in recent past decades? Well, Jesus is coming on this date and this way. Don't let somebody fool you with that. He said, it's always going to be there. All these things are always, they're just signs along the way that this world is not all it's cracked up to be. This world is a shaky place. This world is not meant for eternity. If this world were meant for eternity, why would we have all these natural disasters that we have? If we were meant, if this world was meant for eternity, why would we have the personal sins that are destroying our world right now? If it were meant for eternity, why would all these things be happening so the first type of signs are signs that, that point to the end or the beginning of birth pains. Those of you ladies who have ever had a baby, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? The beginning of birth pains doesn't necessarily mean that the baby's ready to come right then. And the birth pains Jesus is talking about, they continue all the way up to right before the beginning of the time of tribulation. Listen, you better hear me today. You better listen close to what I'm gonna tell you. We may not see the four horsemen of the apocalypse right now, but I'm telling you right now, we can hear their hoof beats approaching. Oh, they're coming, baby. You hear the hoof beats louder and louder every day in the earth that we're living in right now and these signs that are all around us. You hear the hoof beats. You feel them tremor in the earth. Historians tell us there have been more than 4,000 wars in the last 5,000 years. There's always been wars. Jesus said, don't let anybody fool you. It doesn't mean that the great, it's the great and final war that is to come, but it's an indication that I am coming soon. I'm coming soon. The second kind of signs that we see in Scripture are signs, number two, signs preceding the end time events. So these are the signs that, that we're gonna be studying over the next few weeks in the time of the great tribulation. We're gonna deep dive into all of it. Jesus also said this in Matthew chapter 24. He said, many will turn away from their faith. So not only are there signs on the earth, there's signs in people. Many will turn away from their faith and they will betray and hate each other. Are we seeing any of that right now? And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness and the love of most will end up growing cold. So instead of people, instead of people saying, I think it's getting worse, no, they're gonna look around in this day and they're gonna say, I know it's getting worse. It's not a matter of thing. I know something is happening in this world. It will be like it's never been before, immediately preceding the end time events. As you think about these, these kinds of signs that proceed, you, you might wanna think about the kind of signs that you would have in your car that something is going wrong in your vehicle. If you're driving down the road and you, and there's, you hear this little faint clunk, which I never admit that I hear anyway. Rachel always hears it, I never hear it, because if I heard it, I would have to do something about it. Amen, everybody. So, but it's like, what is that little clunk that you hear? It's the sign that proceeds, right? 
You, you gotta have your ear tuned into it so you can sense the signs that are preceding something else. You, you need to be aware of what's happening in your car at that moment so you can do something about it before something bad happens. Now, we can't do something about this world, but listen to me, we can do something about us and our relationship with God to be ready for eternity. Say amen, somebody. Those are like the signs that precede the disaster that's coming. But if you're driving down the road and you hear not a faint clunk, but you hear a loud screech of some kind, that would be the sign immediately preceding the end. That's when you need to realize that something bad, something really bad is about to happen. And that's the final kind of sign that we, we have in scripture. And that is signs that accompany the end time events. Signs accompanying the end time events. That's when it's too late. That's when the engine falls out, baby. Right there. These are the signs that we're, that we're talking about here in Revelation chapter six. These are the signs that when Jesus comes back, not to rapture the church, but when he comes back as the conquering Messiah, there will be signs that accompany that event that says the books are now closed and it's over. In Luke 21, Jesus even talked about it. He said, there will be signs in the sun moon and stars on the earth nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea people will faint from terror apprehensive of what is coming what is coming on the world for the heavenly bodies will be shaken somebody say at that time at that time they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory what are the signs that we're talking about here? We've looked at the fact that there are gonna be signs that happen in the sun, the moon, the earth, but now in Jesus references the stars. When the Bible says stars falling to the earth, obviously suns cannot fall onto the earth. We understand that. So it might be a picture of the heavens being disrupted in some cataclysmic way. If, it's, if it is an actual thing that, that's happening here, it could actually be meteorite impacts upon the earth that bring massive destruction. It also says signs in the sky, that the skies will be rolled back like a scroll. I want you to picture this. There's a sense that, that maybe somehow the atmosphere that we have over the earth in sections may be dissolved Well, you'll be able to see all the way into space, even in the daytime, that kind of ecological disaster. And what that would do to the earth. And we're not going to bring it upon ourselves. No, this is God's judgment on the world. This is God at work in his plan. So why are we told this? Listen, if we're not going to be here, if that's true, then why does God need to tell us these things? I'll give you two reasons why he, he, he tells us. Are y'all still with me? Number one, here, 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 here's why. is to empower our witness in the world. To realize that those who don't know Christ are gonna go through this stuff, not just here on earth, but it's gonna be even worse in eternity. We see clearly that the earth ends, yes, but you can only imagine being where there is no presence of God for all of eternity. Friends, that's what hell is. So he tells us these things to empower our witness, but the second reason we are to know these things is to enable our wisdom 
about this world. He doesn't want, God doesn't want you and I as believers looking around the world and thinking, well, well, God must not be here. God must have abandoned all of us. He's telling us this is what's gonna happen. So when things get bad, we realize God's plan is at work. He's still at work in this world and he's never gonna fail to be at work in this world. Now, as you read these verses, you realize that God's judgment is absolutely inevitable. And listen, all these things, what they do is they focus in on the struggle that many Christians have about these truths. Listen to me clearly. That if judgment is inevitable, right? If this is what the world is all gonna come to, why should I even care about this world? If this is what's gonna happen to the world, why don't I just forget the world and just focus in on being raptured before all this happens? But I, I know I should witness maybe, but why, why shouldn't I just sit back and wait to get out of here and just forget the whole thing? There are some Christians who feel that way. It's kind of like, like you go to the doctor and he sits down with you and tells you, hey, you're sick, but I've got this pill that's gonna help you and you're gonna live longer and you're gonna feel better. I want you to take this pill. And you look at that pill and look at the doctor and say, well, I'm gonna die someday anyway. Why would I take this pill? How many of you know that would be ridiculous? Some of you are thinking it depends on how much the pill costs. All right, okay, I understand. But the fact is, we live in a sick world. And the fact is, we live in a world that is going to die someday. That's, that's what he's telling the truth about right here. Does that mean that you and I as believers should not try to inject as much health and hope and strength and grace into this world as we can? Of course not. Come on, Jesus came as the great physician to heal as many in the world as he could. And you and I, as his body, the church in the world today, come on, we still have a job to be healers in the midst of a sick and dying world so people will know that there is hope and there is grace. God didn't give us these things so that we would give up. These things were written so we could share with people what they need to hear. Well, if God's gonna judge the world anyway, if there's a, all this is gonna happen anyway, then why should I care about the world? I'll tell you why. Because God so loved this world that he gave everything he had. If God loves it, how many believe we should love it? Not love the system of the world, but we should love the people in this world. Now, there's a terrible tragedy that happens at the end of these first six scrolls that are, that are open. I'm going way over my time. I don't care. There's too much to talk about, all right? Is that okay? We're gonna do it anyway. All right, so verse 15. Hope I'm not boring you. Verse 15, John says, then the kings of the earth and the princes and the generals and the rich and the mighty and every slave and every free man hid in caves. And among the rocks in the mountains, they called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and we cannot, and, and, and who can stand it? Remember the book of Genesis going all the way back to the beginning. Remember Adam and Eve had this great relationship with God in the garden and then sin came into their life. And when God comes walking through the garden, when they sense the presence of God in the garden, what's the first thing that they did? They hid. They hide from the only one who can help them. 
They're afraid of what he's gonna do to them because of their sin. So instead of going toward him, instead of admitting their sin and asking for help, they hide from him, they want to escape from him. Listen, in the end, that's how it's going to be on the earth. Those who want, listen to me, those who want to escape God's love today are gonna wanna escape God's wrath in the end. But the good news is, whether it's now or in the end, God is still inviting. He's still inviting people to come to him. The tragedy is those who are saying, I wish this rock would follow me so I could hide from God. They're, they're, they're hiding from the only hope that they have. Their hearts are hardened here. They can't see and they can't even admit by this time that even in the end, even with all the tragedies, even with all that's happening, they still can't admit that there is a God who loves them and who is inviting them in. This is the hardness of sin. The Bible says the wrath of God has come upon this world. You need to understand what that means. Wrath does not mean personal vindictiveness. That's not what that means. Wrath is the response of a holy God to a sinful world. He is perfect. He is holy. And this world is a sinful place. That's God's response to the sin that destroyed the thing that he loved. But when you and I come to him in Christ, he does not see our sin any longer. Come on, aren't you glad for that? That he sees us in Christ and we never have to face his wrath. Right? I'm telling you, we have no idea what all was really paid for us on the cross of Jesus. And from the sixth seal, the apostle John moves into this, this view from heaven. With all that's happening, the tragedy, the war, earthquakes, famine, death, all this stuff that's going on, it's as if God says before the end, hey, stop a minute and let's take a breather before we get to the next set of tragedies that are going to happen. And he goes back to a view from heaven, John does. And Revelation does this, you have to understand. It intersperses scenes on earth from scenes in heaven. On earth, I think these scenes and events are sequential. They happen one after the other. So God shows us what's happening from beginning to end. But when you go back up to heaven, he skips around a lot. Remember, time in heaven and time on earth are two different things. So sometimes he'll skip to the beginning of creation. Other times in heaven, he skips to the middle of the tribulation. Sometimes he goes right to what's happening at the end of time. And he does that here in Revelation chapter 7 as we turn the corner into chapter 7. There are three different groups that are talked about here. And each one tells us a powerful truth about God. First of all, you have the four angels who are holding the four corners of the earth in chapter 7 and verse 1. Then in verse 2 and 3, Another angel in chapter seven with the seal of God calls out to the four angels and this is what he says. He says, another angel with the seal of God calls out to the four angels and says, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal, a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. And so what do these four angels teach us? They teach us that God is in control. With all that's happening, God is in control of this whole process. When he needs to halt it for a minute because there's something he needs to do, he stops it right there. When he needs to continue it, he continues it. As you read the book of Revelation, we see increasing chaos in the earth, but we also see increasing control and peace and power and grace in heaven. 
That's what you see as you read through Revelation. That's why, as we talked about last week, the attitude of worship is so important when you read this book. Because if you read this with a heart of worry, you're not gonna see all the truths here. But if you read this with a heart of worship, focused on your heavenly Father in heaven, the truths begin to emerge in a great degree. The point is, God is in control. If you're glad about it, say amen. And then there's another group of people that you may have questions about. Many believers do. And that is John sees the 144,000 witnesses there in chapter seven. Who are they? Well, they're not people who knock on your door. <laughs> Let me just say that. <laughs> they're also not the best Christians among us as some people have propagated and claimed over the ages. They're not some super group of saints, okay? You know who they are. The Bible's very clear about who they are. They, they, they are the number that was sealed from the tribes of Israel. Here's what John saw. He saw the 144,000, and he explains who they are. I don't know why all this confusion. In verse four, he says, then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of where? Of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. Tribe of Asher, 12,000. Naphtali, 12,000. Manasseh, 12,000. Simeon, 12,000. And from the tribe of Levi, there's 12,000. And then from Issachar, 12,000. Zebulun, 12,000. Joseph, 12,000. And from the tribe of Benjamin, there are 12,000. So understand, these, listen, these are Jewish believers. He's focusing here, listen, he's focusing here because he wants to pound this into our heart. He says, these 144,000 are from the tribes of Israel, and then he goes through each tribe of Israel and tells you who they are. In Romans chapter 11, you can read about the fact that at the end, there's gonna be this great ingathering and great swelling of faith that happens in the Jewish nation. It's during this time that Israel actually turns toward Jesus as Messiah and they finally claim him for who he is. God has always said that he wants to bless the world through the nation of Israel. And here, he's going to bless the world through the nation of Israel. So understand, these are Jewish believers who are saved during the first part of the tribulation. They come to know Christ. In Revelation chapter 14 and four, it calls them the first fruits of God's harvest. So there's an indication in the words first fruits not only are the 144,000 who are saved, but they're also the 144,000 chosen out at the very beginning to be witnesses in the earth during this time. I want you, I know that's a lot that I just gave you. But I want you to see people are able to come to Christ during the great tribulation. They, come, they, 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 they can still come to know him. It's not too late. So watch this. You have these 144,000 sort of spiritual Navy SEALs is what they are, who are sent out into the tribulation time. They're, they're Messianic Jews, sent out, 144,000 of them, sent out into the tribulation time to be witnesses for Christ. This is a great picture here. Can you imagine 144,000 Apostle Pauls set loose on the world? With all the tech, could you imagine if Paul had the technology we have? He's probably up in heaven right now going. Pfft. It's what he's talking about here, these 144,000. And so what are these 144,000 saints on earth, these Jewish saints, what do they teach us? Write this down. 
They teach us that God's greatest concern is our salvation. That's why all this is happening. He's working up to the very end, even through the tragedies that come upon this earth, to bring as many people to himself as he possibly can. That is God's greatest concern, and it always will be. The Bible says these 144,000 are sealed. John said they are sealed, which is a sign of ownership. It's a sign of protection. In chapter 9 and verse 4, and we'll get there. But there comes a time in the earth where the Bible says, John says, that, there, that only those without the seal of God are going to be allowed to be destroyed in the earth. There's a point in the tribulation, we're going to get to it, it's fascinating, where believers during that time are going to be spared death. And the only people that will allow to be killed are, are unbelievers. So God is protecting them during this time so that they can continue to be a witness for him, bringing people to Jesus Christ. Are you still with me? Because then there's a third group of people that we see here in chapter seven, and that is the multitude of believers in heaven. It seems now that he's skipping from the beginning of the tribulation, he's skipping clear to the end of it. That's how heaven times different. But he says, John says this in verse, in verse nine, after this I looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people and language standing before the throne and in front of the lamb. And they were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hand. When was the last time you heard of palm branches being waved in front of Jesus? This time, they're really bringing him in as king. And it says, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength are yours, God, forever and ever. The multitude of believers here teach us that God will not fail us. What does this, it, 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 God will not fail us as his people. I don't care what's going on in the earth right now. You need to be encouraged today. He is not going to fail you as his people. There will not come a time of tragedy on this earth where somehow we are caught up in something that he didn't know about and we're lost from him. Aren't you glad that God's gonna bring us all to himself, right? Who are these multitude of believers? Look at verse 13. John said that one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? And I answered, sir, you know. He said, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And so these are those who lost their lives for the sake of their faith during the time of great tribulation. God does not fail them, and how many believe God will not fail us either, right? So look at how this chapter ends. I want you to see this. Look at how this chapter ends in verse 15. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him night and day in the temple, and he who sits on the throne will spread his protection over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. He will lead them to springs 
of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Come on, the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. Come on, God will not fail us. Come on, there's coming a day. There's coming a day when he's gonna wipe every tear and we're gonna be with him for all of eternity. I'm telling you what a great day that will be. Aren't you glad that we have a hope to look forward to? It doesn't matter how bad this earth gets. Number one, the grace of God is that because we're in Christ, if you're in Christ, you're gonna miss all of this. He's gonna snatch you out of here before all this happens, right? And the greatest news is that you're gonna spend eternity with him forever. So, so in this earth, this is why Paul, this is why Paul said, you can't even kill a dead man. I'm already dead. He said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. As long as I got a heartbeat in my chest, I'm gonna live for Jesus on this earth. But if I die, I'm gonna be with Jesus. Either way I win. Either way I win. Right? Hey, listen, don't miss next week because we're gonna get into the opening of the seventh seal. And this is when the seven trumpets of God's judgment begin to sound. I'm telling you, it's fascinating and it's terrifying, but there's a lot of hope in it. Don't miss next Sunday. It's gonna be amazing. Let me pray for you right now. All those of you watching online, every head bowed, every eye closed in this place. Because I really believe there's two types of people in this room, two types of people watching online right now. There are those of you who are already, you know where you stand with Jesus. You already know where you stand with him. And when you hear these things, it doesn't create terror in your heart, it builds your faith. <laughs> it gives you some excitement and something to look forward to. But there's another type of person in this room and watching online or listening to the radio. And you hear these things and you're feeling terror and fear come up inside of your heart. That's an indicator by the Holy Spirit that you may not be in a right place with Jesus. And today you have the opportunity to make that right. God, because he loves you, brought you to this room, brought you to this place, or he allowed you to log on and watch because he loves you and he's allowing you every opportunity to come to him and to surrender your heart to him. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about doing religious things. I'm not talking about being a good person. You can, you can check all those boxes, my friend, and you can still go to a hell without Jesus for all of eternity. Has nothing to do with your religion. It has everything to do with do you have a relationship with him? Because there's some people I really believe right now that can be in church every week and be a good person and just be as far from Jesus as possible and don't even realize it. And I'm praying that as you're watching or you're listening, under the sound of my voice, the Holy Spirit grips some people's hearts and that you'll turn to him right now. And if that's you, I wanna pray with you. In this room, if that's you, if every head bowed, every eye closed, if you say, I wanna make sure that I'm right with him, I want you to lift your hand. I wanna pray with you right where you are. Come on, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Come on, raise them up. I want to see you. Be bold about it. God bless you. I see you. Praise God. Praise God. Those of you watching online, I want to pray with you as well. And we're going to pray with you. If you just pray this from your heart, let's all pray together out loud with them that raise their hand, that are watching online, listening to the radio. Everyone pray, dear God, thank you for sending Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. I surrender all of my life completely to you. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me to live for you. Thank you for a fresh start. In Jesus' name. And everybody said a big amen. And we ought to just lift the roof off this place. Come on, we ought to celebrate. 
people coming to Jesus. If you did raise your hand and you prayed that prayer with me in this room, would you do me a favor? Reach into the seat back in front of you. There's a connection card. Would you just pull that out and just take like five seconds and just fill your information out. Check the box that applies to you that, hey, I committed my life to Jesus or I recommitted my life to Jesus today. We'd love to know who you are to pray for you and celebrate you. And you can drop that card in one of the containers the ushers are holding in the exits as you leave. Just drop that in there. We'd love to keep you in prayer and to contact you maybe and just see how we can be a blessing in your life as you grow in Jesus. We're so glad, so glad that you've made that choice today. Man, what a great feeling it is to know that you're in the right. I'm telling you, there's no greater peace in all the world than to know that you're in the right standing with God. Amen, everybody. Listen, this is that moment in our service that we wanna invite you to participate in returning the tithe to the Lord and even to give offerings above and beyond that. We've freely received today. I'm just gonna ask you to prayerfully consider freely giving to the Lord. Those of you watching online, would you consider partnering with us? And there's three ways you can do it. One, if you're in this room and you prefer to do that physically, you can use the envelopes and the seat backs in front of you and you just fill that out and you can actually drop them. You can give as you go. There's ushers in the exit ways with containers. You can drop that in or you can participate through text to give. If you're in here, you're watching online or whatever, you can text the word vibrant to 77977 and they'll send you a few secure steps and you can partner with us that way to make a difference in people's lives. You can also go online to vibrantchurch.com slash giving and you can give that way as well. We thank you so much for your partnership and your generosity, man. It it is, is literally making a difference eternally in so many people's lives. Amen, everybody. I'm so grateful to be a part of a church that's full of generous people. Listen, that's the greatest way you reflect the heart of God is when you're generous because God so loved this world that he did what? He gave and he gave his best. Thank you, church, for being a giving church. Would you stand to your feet this morning all over this room? Thank you for hanging with me in these messages. I know they're a little longer than normal, but there's so much to unpack. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. I really do. But I just wanna pray a blessing over you before you leave. Would you just open up your hands and receive this? I just pray the Lord bless you, that he keep you, that he make his face shine upon you, that he be gracious to you, that he turn his face towards you, and that he give you peace in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Facebook Live, 7 p.m. Wednesday night.